0: Well, on Tuesday, children across America will be not worrying about their sugar intake levels and a new wave of problems for children will start, but Tuesday is a bit of a different day of celebration for me because I'm a Bible Ned, I'm a theology Ned, and so does anybody know, for for those who are theology nerd, what Tuesday is? Bill Fetter. I knew. I was saying this week when I get to this part of the sermon, Bill Fetter is going to hook me up. It's Reformation Day. How many of you all have ever had a Reformation Day before? I'm proud of the few of you, and the rest of you, I want you to learn about this, it's great. So if, you, if you're not familiar, Reformation Day celebrates the day from the 1600s when Martin Luther, uh, the great German theologian, nailed what he called his 95 Theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg, and this 95 Theses was kind of a critique of different ways in which the church had kind of moved away from what its central message was about the, the gospel of Jesus, who he was, what he'd done, and just got involved in a whole bunch of very bad things, uh, and it began this... Incredible transformation in the history of the church. The, the Protestant movement was born. In fact, churches like this one exist because of what Martin Luther did back then. But it, wasn't, it didn't just have impact on church. It had impact across Europe. Uh, the, the entire governments were kind of rearranged around this new Protestant way of thinking. All kinds of different things. So uh, Martin Luther's words had tremendous power. Tremendous power. But my favorite words of Martin Luther's was his insults. Uh, Martin Luther was famous for being brilliant at, at giving insults to his opponents when he would debate with them. I want to I read a couple to you, because watch church without a few insults, but um, these, these are, these, people just don't insult like this anymore, which is part of the reason why I want to I share these. So one famous insult of Martin Luther was, he said, I would not smell the foul odor of your name. Now I know he was German, to me that's a very British insult, to, to mock someone, the odor of someone's name. He once said, you seem to me to be a real masterpiece of the devil's art. I don't know who received that, but it was probably not a great day. Uh, And then my favorite of his, with a little bit of sarcasm, he says, you are an excellent person, as skillful, clever, and as versed in the Holy Scriptures as a cow in a walnut tree or a sow on a harp. So Martin Luther's words had a lot of power. He rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Incredibly influential figure. But I would be remit to say that there wasn't also a side to Martin Luther where his, these powerful words of his, these influential words of his also caused great harm. One of the most tragic things about Martin Luther, that as someone who admires him and reads a lot of what he's read, that always is, is present when I read, is Martin Luther was also known for being horrifically anti-Semitic. He would say things and write things about the Jewish community that was just, uh, really there is no excuse for. And in fact, those words would go on to become... Part of a religious justification for what would happen in Germany during World War II. People would use Martin Luther's words to say, well, see, this is why we do this. So you can see how words can have power. Words can have power to do tremendously wonderful things, to liberate the church, to to help put the church on track, to, to encourage people, to build people up. Words can also cause great harm. Harm that reaches far beyond us. So it's no surprise that the Bible has a lot to say about words, a lot to say about how we speak. This letter that we're reading uh, as a church, James, was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And James began his life as a doubter of Jesus's. In fact, we told in the Gospels that uh, his half-brothers would say that he's a lunatic. Who would say the kind of things that Jesus said? They didn't believe in him. Until the resurrection when Jesus rose from the grave and Jesus appeared to his brother James, and James went from being a doubter to one of the most uh, fearsome campaigners for the truth of the gospel, so much so that he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, what was, without doubt, the most important church of the first age. Incredibly influential guy, probably as equally as influential as Paul or as Peter it was James. Incredible story of how Jesus changed his own brother's life. But what he's concerned about in this letter is that he wants the church to be reminded that our faith is supposed to affect the way that we act, supposed to affect the way that we think, and it's supposed to affect the way that we speak. Last week at the end of chapter 2, we were talking about how James kind of famously says that faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is that if you have a faith, if you have a belief in God that is not changing the way that you are living, if it's not impacting it, it's not real faith. It's not true faith. True faith isn't just some kind of an intellectual idea that stays hidden in your head. True faith compels you to live differently. And so James wants to challenge us and think about this. And one of the practical ways he wants to think about this is thinking about our words, the way that we speak. He's saying that if we're the kind of people who have looked into the message of the gospel, we've looked into the mirror, he calls it in chapter one, the mirror of the law of liberty, and we've seen what God has revealed, then it should change the way that we think about how we speak. And he's going to tell us in three different ways. He's going to talk to us about the power of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and wisdom for the tongue. So let's talk about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. When uh, I was growing up, I had a variety of different ideas about what I wanted to be when I grew up. Pastor was uh, not one of them. Uh, Fireman, you know, policeman, something like that. Astronaut was a little lofty. But uh, you would never guess what one of the most popular career choices. For young people today. So, if you're if you're in Gen Z, which is you were born between 1997 and 2012, does anyone want to guess what the top career aspiration of that generation is? I, youtuber. I heard youtuber somewhere. He knows. But the correct terminology, Eric, is influencer. To be an influencer, okay? So you wanna you wanna grow up. You wanna have a career in influencing other people, right? They, you wanna get your own YouTube channel. You want to you get your own crowd of people that listen. And you can be an influencer on any number of things. You don't have to have any qualifications in that area. You just have to be very passionate about it on your YouTube channel, right? This is the aspiration, in fact, of 25% of Gen Z wanna be an influencer. Now, as much as I'll poke fun, I have a little bit of an encouragement for Gen Z. You don't need a YouTube channel to be an influencer. You're an influencer by virtue of what you say. In whatever circle you are in, your words have power. You are an influencer. That's why James wants to challenge us. Think about how you speak because you're an influencer whether you realize it or not. You have incredible power whether you realize it or not. This is what he says in James 3 verses one through five. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also, to able, also able to bridle his whole body If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. So James moves straight from this discussion of faith without wax, of saying your faith should change the way you live, to addressing teachers and saying, so I want you to think real careful. You who want to be teachers, you who want to have influence, you who want to have a position of authority, understand that your words have great power. And he starts by talking to this crowd of teachers because in James's day in the church, many people who were becoming Christians were illiterate. They wouldn't have had a Bible like we have. They couldn't go away and read it themselves. And in fact, this very letter, James would have sent out from the church in Jerusalem to the many churches in the area, and there would have been a teacher who would have took this letter and was responsible for reading it to the church, and then similar as a pastor does, kind of explaining what it all meant. Teachers had tremendous influence and authority, and James is saying, be careful. If you want that position, understand that your words matter. Now it's easy to kind of take a a pause there and just say, okay, so he's talking to teachers. This is for Pastor Andrew. This is what he needs to hear. He needs to be careful with what he says. But I would encourage us this morning, it's not a pulpit that makes teachers. It's not a, a church congregation that makes teachers. And in fact, every one of you is a teacher in some capacity because your words are training people around you in something. When you speak, Your words have power. They influence your children. They influence your colleagues in the workplace. They influence your neighbors. You are teaching something. So be careful. Be careful with your words. James has already said in his letter to us, in chapter one, verse 19, says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It says in chapter two, so speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Words have tremendous power. It uses this analogy of bits in the horses' mouths. If you've watched horse racing, you know that this bit that you can't even see in the horse's mouth has such control over the whole animal that jockeys can pull a thousand pound animal in whichever direction they want at high speed. Or if you look at the cruise liners, you go on, on vacation, ships that are bigger than they've ever been in history, and yet the rudders on those ships take up a fraction of the overall size of the vessel. Because small things have power in guiding and directing large things. Let me put it to you this way. Your words, no matter how small they are, no matter how small your circle of influence have enough power to change the direction of your life and the direction of the lives of people around you. Your words have power to change the direction of life. I've already mentioned, in your home, with your family, with your parents, with your children, in the community, with customer service representatives on the phone. I unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, ordered some new jeans from Old Navy and uh, they did not arrive within the two weeks that I was promised by the Old Navy representative. And I, I let that go because, you know, jeans, it's not, it's not a crucial thing. But after about three weeks, I thought, okay, i better find out what's going on here. I've paid some money for this. So I called Old Navy up Basically, what happened is the package had got lost in transit, so they were going to refund me uh, and send me some new ones. But before they could refund me, they had to have me verify the address that was on my credit card. Well, this is fine. It's responsible. So I, I verified my address and said, well, I'm sorry, sir, that's not the address that we have on your card. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't have another address. So I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, this is the only card I have. This is the card that I use. This is my address. And I said, well, that's not the address that we have. And I said, well, what, what address do you have? And they said, well, we can't tell you because you need to verify it for us before we can say anything about the account. So it began a 20 minute conversation, in which of course, Pastor Andrew was wonderful and civil, I was gracious, <laughs> no. I hung that phone up and we'd got it figured out, but I, was, I cared much, when I hung that phone up, I cared much less about having got what I wanted and much more about the way that I had misrepresented Christ to the, whoever that customer service represented was. Now, you might say, well, she didn't know you were Christian, she didn't know a pastor, that's true, but my words still had power. It influenced her day. It changed the way, the experience of what was happening in her life that day. And I had the opportunity as a follower of Jesus to choose to speak life, and I didn't. And if you work in the customer service representative industry, you know that a lot of those people suffered tremendously critical things on the phone while trying to do their jobs. And I would put to you that as Christians, even little moments like that matter to God. They matter to Him because words have power to influence other people. If I asked you what are the worst words spoken to you, I bet you could give me a pretty quick answer. I bet you could remember a time when you were a child on a playground in an elementary school and you hear something that another kid said to you, you heard something perhaps a teacher said to you, and even now, perhaps decades later, you still feel the sting of it. Something that a parent has said to you in a moment of frustration. I'm ashamed to say that my children probably carry at least some wounds, from the ways in which I was careless in my words towards them. How about if I asked you about the best things that people have ever spoken to you? Hopefully there's a, there's a quick response on that too. Words that have influenced the direction of your life. I think in the months since I lost my mom, I've often gone back and read things that she wrote to me, things that she said to me, because it encourages me, even now, after she's gone, her words have power in my life. I think about my sister who encouraged me in my faith. I wouldn't even be here in the United States if it wasn't for the things that my sister spoke to me. Her words had power to change the direction of my life. My own wife, Janae, was the one who encouraged me to pursue a career in ministry, changed the direction of my life because words have power. Words have power. And so God challenges us as people who've looked into the law of liberty, people who've understood God's mercy towards us, we should think about our words because if words are powerful, that means they're also dangerous. Words are dangerous. Let's talk about the danger of the tongue. When, uh, when I got married, we got married at our South Street campus and then uh, we had our reception at the Hotel Baker. It was a wonderful day. It was really great. You know, Cloud nine the whole day. And then we come to the moment of the reception where the speeches are going to happen. And it suddenly occurs to me, oh, Janir's dad is going to have to give a speech. And generally, fathers of the bride are not greatly (laughs) encouraging towards grooms on that day. So I wondered, what what direction is this going to take? And he started his speech by saying, uh, he he said, let's look at the social media accounts of Andrew and Janir in the lead up to the wedding. So he went to Janir's account first. And he said, here's what Janir was posting in the weeks leading up to the wedding. And Janae, being the wonderful passenger he has, wrote, it's 10 weeks till I get to marry Andrew, six weeks till I get to marry Andrew, three weeks till I get to marry Andrew. He says, now let's look at Andrew's social media accounts from that same window of time. And this is where anybody who's ever posted anything on social media goes, oh, please don't do that. He said, Andrew had a countdown during that same time frame too. 10 weeks till the new Man of Steel Superman movie is released. Six weeks until the new Man of Steel movie. I was very embarrassed to to have that side of me revealed in front of all my friends and family. My words came back to bite me. Now, it wasn't too bad, I healed pretty quickly, but how many of us have spoken words carelessly or thoughtlessly, posted something on social media, said something to a friend that has come back to bite us, that we discover afterwards has caused tremendous harm and damage? How many of us have said things that even in the moments following say, I wish I could take that back. Why did I say that? Because words are dangerous. James tells us, in fact, in chapter 3, verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a weld of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we cast people who are made in the likeness of God. See, James is unmistakably clear in his kind of classic blunt fashion, James tells us exactly how it is. The tongue is incredibly dangerous. It can cause tremendous harm. Our words have power, and that means they can cause damage. And I think it's appropriate in every age to think about our words, but certainly in our own age, in a culture in which words, if we're honest, more often take on a negative sense than they do a positive. We tear down much more often than we build up. We look at the news every day and there is new critical words being spoken in politics and in schools and in community events. People are aggressive, they're angry, they're cruel, they're ungracious. And unfortunately, even in Christian circles, that sometimes I admit I have unfortunately been a part of, our words tear down more often than they build up. Our words are cruel and critical. Proverbs, the book in the Old Testament that we studied this summer, has a tremendous amount to say about how we speak. I encourage you if you ever wanna go back on our YouTube channel and listen to that, just to remind yourself of the power of words. But one of the things it says in Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19 says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I don't like Bible verses like that. Because I've said that often, too often. I've said something in jest, something cruel, something barbed that I have tried to erase by saying, well, I'm only joking. I I didn't really mean it. But if you've been on the receiving end of a, a jibe like that, does it take away the sting when someone says they're only joking? That's why Proverbs says that. You've thrown that fiery arrow like a madman, not realizing that whether you say you're joking or not, the damage will already be done. Already be done. Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've had it said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who in- insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. One of those moments where Jesus' words to us are intimidating. Everyone who's ever said, You fool. Everyone who's had a careless word. And in fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus goes on to say that on the day of judgment, everyone will give an account for every careless word that they have spoken. Starts to become a little uncomfortable. Every careless word, I have a lot of those. I'm going to have to give an account for everything that I've said, the way that I've used my speech. And the reason why God takes this so seriously is because words can cause terrible destruction. Our words can direct people away from the love of God and away from the truth of God. Our words have power. James says the tongue is like a fire because words can burn. Words like, you're such a waste of space. Words like, you're such a disappointment. Words like you're unforgivable. You're unwanted. Phrases like, well, you never listen to me. Or phrases like, you always let me down. Rumors, gossip, and the list goes on and on. Incredible ways in which our words and the way that we use our words can cause terrible damage, terrible damage. I think if we're honest, we are far too permissive with ourselves when it comes with the way that we choose to speak. We give ourselves a pass. One of my favorite pastors once spoke about the problem of of controlling his tongue and the danger of his words. And I wanted to share it with you just from his own words because it was so challenging to me to read this this week. A guy called Paul Tripp. And to give you some context of this, Paul says when he starts telling the story, he has kind of a common conflict problem with his wife because he's the kind of person who's always ready on time for an event and his wife takes some extra time. Okay, That's never happened anywhere to any marriage ever. But he says he came in one particular morning, saw that she was not ready, and so I began to say helpful things to her, like informing her that it was not an Easter dinner, it was an Easter breakfast. She found that very helpful. I told her that a couple of our children were already waiting in the car. I reminded her that I was an elder at the church, and my arrival before the ham and eggs was very important to my ministry. And about then, my nine-year-old son, who was in the room, said, Daddy, may I say something? says, I wish that I had said no. Because he says, Daddy, do you really think that that is the way a Christian man should speak to his wife? Very wise young man. And being the pastor that he was, he turns to his son and says, well, son, what do you think? And the son again, with wisdom beyond his years, says, well, it doesn't matter what I think, Daddy. It matters what God thinks. Oh. So let me ask you with the wisdom of that nine-year-old boy, What does God think about your words? What does God think about the way that you speak to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors, to your colleagues? What does God think? What does he think not just about the things that you say out loud, but the things that you post online, the things that you text in a thread? Perhaps not even the things that are put outside of your own being, but are said in the privacy of your own thoughts, because God hears those words too. God knows whether it comes out of your mouth or not, you've still spoken it. What does he think about those things? James finishes this section by pointing out that the real danger of the tongue is that with it we can bless our Lord and Father and with it we can also cast people who are made in the likeness of God. Fellow image bearers. Put it this way, we can sing songs of praise to God, we can sing beautiful songs like Christ be magnified as we did this morning, and then tomorrow morning, choose to tear down someone made in the image of God because they cut us off on the road or because they didn't assist us in work like they were supposed to. Let me ask you another really hard question. How does God speak about people? His harshest words were reserved for religious leaders who would bless God with their mouth and then curse their neighbor. I put it to you that one of the greatest acts of worship you can offer God is thoughtful speech, thinking about what you say. One of the most pleasing gifts you can give him is a tongue that blesses your neighbor, your spouse, your children, your colleagues. You know, even when I think about Christ himself, think about some of the most poignant things he said when he was on the cross being nailed there by murderers, by people who were persecuting him. What did he choose to say out loud in that moment? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's actually said about James who wrote this letter that at the end of his life, James was martyred. He was thrown from the top of the temple by Jewish leaders who were trying to persecute the Christian church. And the legend goes that James survived briefly after being thrown. And like his brother, he prayed for the forgiveness of those that were murdering him. That's the kind of speech that directs people towards the God of heaven. That's the kind of speech that makes a difference in people's lives. But there's a problem, a really serious problem. And that's that James says, the tongue cannot be tamed. So on the one hand, we've got a desire to want to speak better, to want to bless our neighbors, to say things that build up, that encourage. And yet, James says, but you're not going to be able to tame your tongue. Mankind can tame every beast under the sun, but they can't tame what G.K. Chesterton said was the two-ounce untamable beast, the tongue. So what are we to do? We need wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. James ends this, this section of chapter three. He says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here's what James is doing in this little section. I think he's doing two things. First, he's giving us an explanation of where the fire of the tongue really comes from. Where does, where does this poison and this fire really come from? And second, he's giving us hope on how to tame the untamable. How to tame the untamable. First, where does it come from? What's the explanation there? What he says, he says that a spring cannot bring, both, bring forth both salt water and fresh water. And he says, likewise, a fig tree can only produce figs. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying that, well, what comes out of something is a result of its own nature, right? A a spring doesn't bring salt water and fresh water. A fig tree can only create figs. If I had an orange with me this morning and I squeezed that orange, it's not gonna produce apple juice. It's gonna produce orange juice, right? Some of us have a tendency to kind of excuse some of the ways we speak by saying it's circumstances. It's, it's the things around me have put this on me. Well, you don't know what it's like to, to be spoken to at work the way that I'm spoken to at work. You don't, you don't know what it's like to parent these children. You don't know what it's like to go through the things that I go through. Those are the things that are causing me to speak this way. And actually the Bible would say absolutely not. It is not your circumstances that control your tongue. It's your heart. It's your nature. Circumstances are like the forces coming in on that orange, Right? absolutely difficult, stressful, painful things happen to us and it squeezes us. But what comes out is only what's already there inside us. Circumstances only draw out of us what's already there. And so the real problem that James is trying to get us to realize is we don't just have a tongue problem, we have a heart problem. There's something deep within us that our tongue is simply revealing. It's showing us what's already there. Luke 6 45 says this the good passing out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, the evil passing out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. We've got a problem. Because if our tongue is really speaking what's in our hearts, we need a new heart. But we can't give ourselves a new heart. We can't give ourselves a new nature, but there is one who can. James takes a little bit of a left turn in verse 13. He asks this rhetorical question. He says, which of you among you, which among you is wise and understanding? And he says, let the one who is sure by his works given in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Now, I think that that was an intentional word choice because that word meekness is a Greek word praas, which is the same word that Jesus uses to describe himself in Matthew 11. He says, I am meek and lowly in heart. What James is saying is, you need my brother. You need the wisdom from above sent down to make us like himself. Paul says that in First Corinthians, he says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remember that James says the problem with the tongue is it boasts great things, but what does it boast? What does it boast? Does it boast the truth? Does it boast the love of God? Does it boast the greatness and the wisdom of Christ? Jesus transforms the way that we speak because he's the embodiment of the wisdom from above. Look at that list, verse 17. It says, Wisdom from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, we've already heard about in James, sincere. Well, does that list describe you? Doesn't describe me. Does describe Jesus. Does describe Jesus. And Jesus has come to make him like himself. He's come to tame the untamable. In verse 14, James says, Don't be false to the truth. What truth is he talking about? He's talking about the truth of the gospel, the truth of the message of the gospel, which says this You are broken, you are flawed, you are shattered and fractured, and your heart doesn't function the way it's supposed to. But. Christ has come and given himself for you on the cross, rose to new life so that you can rise to new life, so that your heart can be new. James is saying, don't be false to that truth. Don't forget the mercy that's been shown to you, the new heart that God has come to give you. When you speak, think about what God has spoken to you first. One of the names for Jesus in the Bible is the word of God. He's what God has spoken to us. In Hebrews 1, I was reading this week, it says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, spoken to us by Jesus. So the gospel says, look in the mirror, look into the law of liberty, see what's there, see that there's that brokenness, that that's that untamable tongue, and invite the great tamer to come and work on your heart, to give you a new heart. Look at your words. What do they reveal? What do they reveal about what's inside you? Become aware of it so that you can confess it and receive God's forgiveness. See, just as James brings this up, not to condemn the church, but to liberate the church, to say, yes, we do have a problem. He says at the start of chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways, and yet let's come to the one who's wise. Let's come to the one who's loved us and given himself for us, and let him tame the untamable in us. It's grace. It's James saying, we've got one who can help us. When we see that we've received mercy from God, you see it transforms us, changes us, and especially the way that we speak because we speak the same kind of blessings that God has spoken over us in Christ. Ephesians 4, Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Growing up in Christ means two things. We speak the truth, and we speak the truth in love. Sometimes we're really good at one or the other. You might be the kind of person, you know, I tell the truth to everybody all the time. I tell them exactly how it is. I give it to them straight. But you don't do it graciously. You don't do it tenderly. You don't do it gently. So it doesn't build up. It brings down. Breaks apart. I would just know it, and I speak to myself as much as anybody else, Jesus is always right and truthful. He could speak to me however he chooses to, and yet I have not found a page in Scripture yet in which God doesn't belittle himself and speak gently to sinners, graciously, kindly. Even Jesus, when he was confronting religious leaders, there's a a kindness about it. There's There's a desire for good in it. We need to be people who speak in love. But we also need to be people who speak in truth because some of us, we're comfortable with love. We want to be encouragers. I'm one of these people. Sometimes we have a hard time in saying the truth. But something that is not true is not loving. Something that's, true, that's not true is not loving. And so we need to be a people who don't just embrace graciousness and tenderness, but speak truthfully, who are willing to challenge those around us who we love and who we care about. We want to tell them the truth. Both of these things are important. Both of these things are gonna be present in the life of someone who's seen that Jesus himself has spoken truth and love to us. So one more time, think about your words. Think about what they say about what's in your heart. Think about what they say to others and influence others in what you believe about God, who he is, how he's spoken to you. The world, I think, is longing for a church that speaks truth and love desperate for it. In a culture that is so aggressive, so hostile, wouldn't it be beautiful if Chapel Street Church was known in our community, in fact, all Christians known in our community, no matter which church they attend, were known for being people who speak life, who build up and encourage and point people towards hope and joy in Christ rather than being people who are critical. If you were worried today, like I have been this week, that your heart still has too much in it that doesn't speak to Jesus. All you need to do this morning is to pray. If you've never asked for Jesus to come and be a part of your life, if you don't know, if you have made that decision to become a follower of Jesus, all that's needed is for you to sit and to sit in this quietness of this space this morning, call on your father who hears, and say, Father, I want you to give me a new heart. I want you to tame the untamable. I want you to change me. I want to follow. You and his forgiveness will pour forth, his grace will pour forth. And if you are a follower of Jesus and perhaps your words have started to speak about something else more than they speak about Christ and this morning receive this gracious challenge to reconsider what is really ruling your heart because your words reveal what rules your heart. Let Jesus be the ruler of your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time this morning just to reflect on your word. It's good. It's hard, it's challenging, and it presses on us. But Father, when we talk about speaking the truth in love, no one does that better than you. Father, when we think about the words that you could have spoken of to us, what marvelous grace it is that you said, Father, forgive them. That you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Father, may we be the kind of people who speak like your son. May we be a people whose words evidence that our hearts are ruled by Christ and the grace he's given us. May we speak mercy and justice and gentleness. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna thank you for worshiping with us today. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord, always, always to be with his people. Hope you've been encouraged and reminded of the truth and the hope of the gospel, that Christ loves you. He's given himself for you and invites you to come and know him today. A couple of reminders before we end. It, uh, we're having a baptism class in about 15, 20 minutes in the garages out back. If you have any interest at all, I would love for you to come and join us. It's not at all a commitment to be baptized in a couple of weeks. It's just a chance for you to learn a bit more about why we do baptism and what it looks like. So you are welcome to join us for that. And then I want to also remind you to pick up on your way out, uh, be a chapel on your street, packet. As a church, we really do want to be a place where we can make an impact right where we are. This is a great way just this week, this, uh, on Tuesday, especially when it's going to be pretty cold, just to bless your neighbors, encourage them, some creative ideas to, to engage with them. So please do pick one of these up on your way out. But now let me offer this morning's benediction. May we go in the name of the one who has spoken life over us, who has spoken truth in love to us, and who himself is the very word of God reaching to us. We pray in his name. Amen.